Well, all right, if you could find your seat, we'll get going with our message today. Last week, we had our friend Ben here. He did an awesome job uh, leading us in a, in a time in the Lord's Word. And today, I'm happy to be able to continue our DNA series. Just today and next week, we're going to be finishing this series up. We've been looking at uh, identifying what we call the essential traits of the church, the things that make the church what it is, the things that make the church unique. We've looked at fe uh, worship, fellowship, ministry. Today we're looking at the word discipleship. Doesn't sound interesting, but it's going to be good. Disciple, we'll define that for starters. Disciple equals student. That's what that, that's where that word comes from. So discipleship means the state of being a student, I guess. But don't tune out because I know some of you hated school or hate school. It says discipleship is not like school, not like any school you've been to. And the sermon's not going to be like school either. Although if you want to take notes, there is a lot of stuff I'll put out there. So you, if you like that sort of thing, there's plenty for you today. Um, it's more like a trade school, I guess, where you learn by doing, or maybe even if you think of it as an athlete who needs a trainer or a coach, that's a little bit more what it's like as we're talking about discipleship. I want to define uh, the difference between a believer and disciple before we get going here. We all know John 3.16, whoever believes in Jesus will be saved, right? Whoever, all you got to do is believe. That's awesome. But the goal of believing, then, is being saved. But the goal of discipleship is knowing the Savior. I'll say that again. The goal of believing is being saved, but the goal of discipleship is knowing the Savior. So we're talking not knowing about Jesus, but knowing him in a relationship. Uh, it's not just about studying the Bible or theology, although that can be part of it. It's spending time with Jesus, getting to know him, following his teachings, doing life with him, uh, becoming more like him. And I like what Paul said in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means, yes, you got saved, but continue to work your salvation out, there's more to just, more than just being saved. There's discipleship. Continue to work it out with fear and trembling, he says, verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we have a part as we're working on it, right? We're working on some stuff, and God's also at work in us. So there's a whole process of discipleship where we become more and more like Jesus, hopefully, is the idea as we go through our spiritual journey. And we know God's going to be faithful to do his part, but uh, we're not always faithful to do our part. So I'm going to look at uh, discipleship today as a journey because it is a process. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to having been on a vacation on a road trip, maybe. Road trip! You know, Woo! You know, so you can start to think in those terms, and I'm going to identify some aspects of discipleship that can be related to the aspects of a journey. The first one is driver. I'm going to say today that you are the driver. We're all, we all have to drive our own spiritual journey, okay? I know Jesus, take the wheel, Great song, and I know the bumper sticker, if God's your co-pilot, switch seats. I, I get that. That's a, good, that's a good sentiment. But for our purposes, I want to say we need to take responsibility for our own spiritual lives. God's not going to drive it all for us. Paul just told us we have a part to work on, and God's going to work too, but we have to take the wheel uh, of our own spiritual journey. Now, the problem is, even if you're a really good driver in the natural realm, in the spiritual realm, all of us are horrible drivers. We're all horrible drivers spiritually. 
Now, my dad was a driver ed teacher. I don't know if some of you remember that. Dave, I know Dave had him, I think, as a teacher. And um, growing up, I had some great driver ed memories because he had these cool gadgets. Uh, in his room, he had a, uh, a gas and brake pedal thing that was rigged up to a red and green light, and it was to test your reaction time. When it turns red, how quick can you get to the brake? And that was awesome as a kid to play with that. He had another one. Remember the game Operation where you tried not to buzz the thing? He had a thing that was kind of like Operation. You had to guide this metal rod through this maze without hitting the edge and buzzing. And it was, you know, to produce uh, patience and steadiness, I guess, in your driving. I don't know why he had these things. But he had those cool gadgets. He had another one, a little golf tee thing that would suction cup to the dashboard. And if the driver could keep the golf ball on the tee, you know, no sudden stops to make the thing fall off, stuff like that. Uh, he kept it fun. And uh, he also had uh, probably the coolest thing on the passenger side, the brake pedal on the passenger side, just in case he had to override things. Anyway, I know uh, it's probably a badge of shame for a lot of us. I'm going to just keep this up here today while I'm talking. Student driver sign. We bought those when our kids were uh, learning to drive, and uh, they probably hated having that on the vehicle. Dad, don't put the thing on the... It's embarrassing. It's a badge of shame. But, but really, for other drivers around you, that's a mark of grace, or should be. I mean, if you're driving along... And you're like, why is this guy going the speed limit? Come on, move. Oh, student driver sign. Oh, all right, I'll give him a little room. So it gives you a little grace for others, and we need to have some grace for each other. Um, James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you're going to go on the discipleship journey, the first thing you have to do is humble yourself and say, I don't really know what I'm doing. And um, the moment that you think you know what you're doing, you're in trouble. Because I've been driving for years, and I think I'm a pretty good driver, you know, don't get in a lot of accidents and all that. But once in a while, I see my wife, like, grabbing the dashboard or something, and I'm like, whoa, what am I doing? I mean, sometimes she just needs to remind me the hands are supposed to be at 10 and 2 on the wheel. Remember that one? Hands at I, I let the hand slip down to six. Just one hand on six works, you know. Mm. The knee will work if you need your hands to do something. You know. No, ten and two. Ten and two, Scott. And, uh, you know, full stop at the stop sign. Complete stop. Don't Not a rolling stop. There was no one coming. I can keep going, you know. So even if on the discipleship journey you feel like, I got this, I know the Christian thing, I know the Bible, I've been doing this a long time, I got this. No, no, get your hands on the way. And we need some reminders sometimes to keep us. I always thought with discipleship, I always thought I was going to like arrive someday, like where I was really spiritual and I knew what I was doing and I was really good at... That's never going to happen. The, the more we sang about it, the more you know... The, the, yeah, the more you realize I need him. And uh, the more you know him, the more you realize that you're not him. So it is a journey, and you never arrive in a sense, I guess. All right, but I, I do want to talk about our destination, number two. You know, there's a thing out there, all roads lead to God, and that's not true. Um, Bible says there's only two destinations. You know, our lives are either headed towards life or they're headed towards destruction. They're either headed towards Jesus or they're not headed towards Jesus. That simplifies it a lot. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many, many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. And we need to realize that we have a natural inclination in us to head on the wrong road. Like we have a spiritually, we have a very bad sense of direction, I guess. 
Some of you are like, feel like you have a really good sense of direction. But spiritually, we all stink at our sense of direction. Our natural inclination is to go the opposite way from where God is. And this is the other thing that we need to get right, right at the beginning of our spiritual journey. Are we going to head towards God or not? Simple as that. Uh, Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and that's away from God, anywhere but God. That is just the natural way all of us go. But there's always the thing the Bible calls repentance. We call it a U-turn, or at my house we call it a U-wee, do-wee-wee. We like to say that because it's fun. You can say it on your own. Do you? It's just fun because it kind of rhymes. Anyway, you have to do a you. That's repentance. You're going the wrong way. You're going away from God. And that's really how the spiritual journey is like begins. Is like, you know what? I'm going the wrong way. And you humble yourself. Again, you're humble already because you know you're a student driver. But double humble. Okay, I'm going the wrong way now. Okay. And you head towards God. That's how this thing starts. Now, Turning towards God, turning away means we have to turn away from what we would, we would naturally want. Turning away from ourself towards God. And that's, this is where the word discipline comes into discipleship. You can see the relationship there. Now, discipline, I think one way you could define it is doing something you don't feel like doing because you know you're supposed to or because it's the right thing or you know it'll end up You'll end up being glad you did. Like this morning, some of you may not have felt like waking up and getting out of bed, but you did. So you are disciplined. You got out of bed. That's discipline. You didn't feel like it, but you did. Hopefully, you're glad you did. Some of you, you know, you took a shower, got dressed, made breakfast, whatever, all the stuff you got to do. You may not have felt like doing all that stuff, but you disciplined yourself and you did it because you, you knew that you'd feel like a slob later in, in the day if you didn't do this stuff, right? And, uh, you know, you came to church. So congratulations. You might not have felt like coming to church, but you discipline yourself. And I'm saying, I'm going. Get out there. Do this. And you did it. And you came. So you, you guys are on track with discipline. And we don't like discipline. Our natural way would be to sit on the couch eating junk food all day, probably, or something like that. You know, we're not, we're not naturally like, yeah, let's exercise, you know. Yeah, let's eat. Well, some of you guys are probably like that, but you know what I mean. But the fact is, you hate yourself more and more the more you go towards where you naturally go on your own. But the more you discipline yourself and turn and go where you don't want to go, the happier you are with yourself. So discipline is actually the road to happiness. That's a secret that some people don't realize. What seems like the hard thing, the thing you hate, the thing that's against your comfort or whatever, is actually going to lead you to happiness. With this in mind, I got to get a couple of really tough scriptures out of the way so we can move on with the fun. Uh, Luke 9, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. There it is. Take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. The cross is a way to represent death to self, not going the way you want to go. And the irony is that the death to self actually is the way to life. Uh, discipline is actually the, the way to happiness. So we do make this decision once, in a, in a sense, and we get saved, and we get baptized. That represents the death and the new life. You come up out of the water as a new person, Romans 6. But we do this, if you're on the discipleship journey, you should be doing this like hundreds of times a day probably. You make that decision 
take up your cross daily. You take it up. Okay, I don't want to do this, but I know not my will, but your will be done. Uh, what's some other good scriptures? Not what I want, but you want. Uh, you must increase. I must decrease. More of you, less of me. All that kind of stuff. To keep us pointed in the right direction, moving in the right direction, is that discipline factor that keeps us staying on track and focus. Um, but it gets worse in Luke 14. This is about as bad as it gets. Then this will get more fun after this. Uh, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Okay, who's signing up for that? You know, he's talking not just death to what we want, but a total reorienting of our priorities where Jesus is the only thing that can be number one. Anything else will get you off track eventually. I mean, family is a good goal, right? But he says, compared to knowing him, family cannot be your number one priority or else you'll get off into family land somewhere and you'll forget about Jesus. I don't know, I just made that up. Is there, one, is there a place called that? Um, just an example, you know, you, the other things on your priority list might be very good things, you know, your work, you may be a great work ethic, but that can't be the number one thing. Then you go to work land, I guess, right? But the only place you can go where it doesn't get off track is to keep Jesus number one and have that singular focus. It says in the word, you know, to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Everything else falls into its proper place only when he's number one. And that's where discipleship and worship overlap. Uh, David said it this way in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him. Uh, Philippians 3, Paul says, says uh, that everything else is garbage compared to knowing Christ. And he, it, I love that passage where he just, you can hear his passion. I want to know him. I'm not there yet. Journey. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. But I'm pressing on to take hold of it. I'm straining towards the goal for the prize. That's my destination. I want to know him. Your life can only have one destination. It's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be something else. When you choose Jesus, you're choosing life over death. When you choose Jesus, you're choosing peace over chaos. When you choose Jesus, you're choosing healing over woundedness, wisdom over foolishness, blessing over cursing, joy over misery, hope over despair. We can only have one destination. All right, number three. How are we doing? You still awake? Directions. Now, some of you guys probably want to go on a trip without directions. I can find it. I can figure it out. Especially not going to stop and ask for directions. That's a classic guy thing. But now we all have uh, GPS and we have uh, Google Maps on our phone and whatever, so it's a little less uh, embarrassing, you know, because you can control it a little more. Um, but once you decide on the destination and you punch that in, um, having that visual of the map is helpful, isn't it? You see where you're at, your little car. You see the road you're on. You see the reminder of what's coming up next for your next turn or whatever. You see your ETA. It's, all, it's helpful to have that in front of you. Um, also, the visual is helpful, but also the audio is helpful. I know some of you guys turn down the voice on it because you don't want to get annoyed because uh, you want to listen to your podcast or you want to have your conversation or listen to your music or whatever. And the, the lady keeps coming in and saying, you know, take a right turn in one mile. Take a right turn in half a mile. Take a right turn in a quarter of a mile. Take a right turn in five. Lady, I know the right turn already 
stop reminding me. Did you ever have a conversation where you're like, really at a good moment, and the lady comes in and tells you stuff, especially if it's Bluetoothed over your speakers? Lady, lady, easy, easy. But anyway, the visual and the audio are both helpful aspects. In the old days, it was it was the person riding shotgun with you. They had a visual on the map, and they gave you the audio with their voice. Oh, your next your turn's coming up. It's right after this turn. You know, remember that. And my wife was awesome at that. She lost her job because of the GPS. Um. Anyway, it's comforting. It's reassuring. It's helpful to have directions. For us in a discipleship journey, I'm going to say that the Bible is the visual directions and the Holy Spirit is the audio. So John 8:31 says, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Stay with the word. Stick, stick with it. Just keep that. Keep your eyes glued to that thing. Then you will be my disciples. It'll show you the way. Um, John 14, 26, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, um, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. Those little reminders, you can see it. It says right on there that your turn's coming up. But to hear the lady say, your turn's coming up in 500 feet. You're like, okay, that's reassuring sometimes. Sometimes I've turned the voice down and I missed it because I needed that extra little audio reminder. And with any directions, there are times when you do miss a turn. Um, you know, you can get confused. Oh, I thought they meant the right turn after that one. Oh. You know, but the nice thing about GPS is it can recalculate, right? And the Bible can do that for you. You can get off track. You probably will. Lots of times in your discipleship journey, get off track, miss a turn. But, or maybe there's detours. It's out of your control or something like that. The Bible can always reroute you and get you back on track. Sometimes it'll take longer, maybe. Then it would have taken, God wanted it to take you originally, but it'll help you. Sometimes it'll say, when possible, make a legal U-turn. And uh, so that U-turn thing, yeah. Dewey, Dewey, thanks. We can always do that. That's, you know, humble yourself and do a Yui, and you can get back on track. It's not like the journey's over. Another thing about the directions is it remember road signs you know like you can look on your phone like where's the next tim hortons but usually there's a sign that says tim hortons at this exit and so god does do other things in our lives that i could call signs that kind of reassure you i'm on the right track yeah that's yeah that's where i want to go oh wrong way no, you know, one way, don't go this direction. Sometimes there's signs that are helpful other than the Bible and the, and the Holy Spirit's voice. Uh, so I'll just mention that. Number four, the car. Everyone knows the quality of your trip is going to be greatly affected by the quality of your vehicle. If we had a, out front here a 1970 VW van, hippie van, rusted out, um, versus a brand new Tesla and you got to pick which one you wanted to drive to Florida today. I mean, I know there's a couple diehards in here who would go with the van. I, I know there are a few. But uh, most of us would want the more reliable, newer vehicle, right? Comfortable vehicle, all that stuff. But um, in our discipleship journey our car i'm going to submit to you is our soul our mind our will our emotions that's what you're trying to drive that's what you're trying to keep on the road that's what you're trying to keep on track you're trying you're responsible as the student driver to keep your mind on track to keep your will going the right direction and keep your emotions going the right direction
Our problem is, uh, it's a fallen world, so we're all born with some issues in the mind, in the will, in the emotions. In our soul, we have built-in issues. It's almost like we are born as used cars with some issues. Okay, my car I used to drive, Honda, um, had a oil leak. Jeff knows. He asked me, don't park it on the pavement. You're leaking oil on the pavement. Um, so now my son Ian drives that car, still has an oil leak. It would cost $400 to put a new oil pan on the thing. So usually by the time you save up $400, you have car insurance to pay or school bill to pay. So the oil pan hasn't been fixed yet. And it's okay. It's okay. You got to just make sure you keep adding oil, right? Um, so you need to know what your issues are. You know, when we first discovered the oil problem with that vehicle, it was going like this. And I'm like, well, the car's dying. What's going on? I took it to the mechanic. Uh, Dude, there's no oil in this car. You need some oil. Oh, I do? He said, yeah, there's a leak. And oh, oh, that explains why I'm such a jerk. Explains why I'm so weird, why I do that. I didn't under, you got to understand yourself and some of your issues. And that'll help you on the journey. You'll know if you need a little extra oil. And thankfully, God is a great mechanic. He can work with us. Remember, that's his, his part of working with us is to work with us on some of our issues sometimes. But we also need to work on it too and be aware of it. And uh, some things like that oil pan, you know, I don't know. Some things we can, we can get by not fixing. Other things are like total safety issues and you better, you better get some counseling, some help. There's celebrate recovery, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We all got those things. A little plug for you guys. Uh, fears, addictions, bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, temptation, anger, all kinds of stuff, issues that affect our journey, affect the quality of our journey. So we just need to be aware of these things and be working on them and ask God to be working on it with us. We don't want to be in denial and uh, we're going to have problems. Psalm 147 says, he heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. Thankful for that. Some things he will fix. Some things we can work on and fix. Some things don't get fixed, but uh, he's got grace for us. A little extra oil. He'll keep us going. Uh, Paul had that happen in 2 Corinthians 12. He had an issue. He kept praying that God would help him with it. And God said, you know what? My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So God doesn't always magically fix all our issues. But he can give us the grace to keep going down the road. And I just love knowing that he... You know, like the commercials say, he gets us. He knows our issues better than we do. He loves us. He has grace for us. And Psalm 103 says it this way, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows we've got issues. He knows we're used cars, so to speak. And he's willing to work with us. He's not up there saying, What's your problem? Get your act together. You know, he's, he understands. He's, he's working with us. Another aspect of, of the vehicle is if you've got cargo. Uh, you know, when I was about 18, my friend Steve called me. He had an old Dodge pickup, and, and it had died up on Courier's Road somewhere. And he called me and said, I need a tow. Can you help me? And I'm like, yeah. Calling the right guy. I'm all over that. No. I'll get my tow truck. No, I, 
I didn't have a vehicle. I borrowed my dad's car. It was probably a Cutlass 88, Delta 88, Dodge Monaco, something, some kind of fancy sedan. And I drove it up. I probably didn't ask my dad if I could tow a truck with it now that I think of it. But um, I, I went up there. Steve had some pirate rope he stole off a pirate ship or something and tied tied the bumpers together and and I and I made it down the hill into arcade got him to his dad's house but there were those moments where the line went slack and then the line went taut because I could feel the weight of the thing that I was pulling you know and I, I'm thankful that the bumper didn't get pulled off I am but see one of the vehicle issues that we sometimes have is, is what we're pulling, what we're towing, what we're carrying with us. And, you know, some of you are familiar with that feeling of the, of the you know, loaded truck and struggling up the hills or, or that trailer and wondering if it's okay back there and that kind of thing. And we, we tow stuff around in our lives and uh, it does say in the Bible that we need to bear our own load, and it does say that we need to bear one another's burdens. But it also says in Hebrews 12, to let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So there are a lot of things that we can get rid of and that we don't have to carry around, and it's going to make our journey lighter, and it's going to make our journey less stressful, and we're going to burn less gas if we have less weight that we're pulling. Uh, number five, conditions. When I say conditions, I'm talking about two factors, the traffic and the weather, two things we can't really control. Out on the roads, there are other drivers. There are other people out there on your spiritual journey. Sometimes they will pass you on a double line. Sometimes they will cut you off. Sometimes they will flip you off. Sometimes they will tailgate you. Sometimes they will have an accident and you'll have to be delayed and steer around. Sometimes you'll be in the accident with them as they crash into you. You can't control the traffic out there. You can't control the other people. That is going to be a factor on your discipleship journey, the traffic and the other people. Another factor is the weather. You can't control the weather. We'd like it if the, the roads were dry and clear every, every day of our lives, but we have to drive in some slippery conditions. We have to drive in some bad visibility sometimes, right? And, and God knows that. He knows that the conditions of this world are not always ideal. And... I have wondered about that before, and this is the classic uh, question that some of you maybe have asked before, is if God is really loving, why does he allow so much suffering, right? And uh, if that question hasn't really gotten you before, it probably will at some point. And that question can really sidetrack you and totally derail you from the, your whole journey. Why, God? Why is it so hard? Why are the conditions so bad? You try, you're saying I have to go out and drive in that? Look, I'm a student driver here, God. What are you trying to expect of me? But, you know, it's a big topic and I can't, you know, solve it. But there is a verse I want to share that's an answer to that question. As far as discipleship goes, God allows us to drive in imperfect conditions because that's part of the training. How does a student driver learn how to drive in the snow? They drive in the snow. There's really no other way to learn some things sometimes but to experience them. And that's why God doesn't always make things easy for us. He doesn't always... He, there's lots of things he saves us from that we don't even know. Lots of things he protects us from that we don't even know half the time. But he... There's things he allows us to go through because it's part of the training. Discipleship is training, and we're learning to become better drivers of our minds, of our emotions, of our wills, when we have to drive through 
conditions where we can't hardly see. When you have to drive through conditions where we have to be really, I can't even, is that the road? I can't even tell if I'm on the road anymore. There's moments like that in your life and you have to keep going with him and trust him. Trust him that he's, he's allowing that for your good and he's training you and teaching you something through it. Hebrews 12 is a great passage about this um, and uh, the, the one verse in particular, verse 7, says it really clearly. It says, endure hardship as discipline. Just, you know, don't ask why and let that derail you. Say, this is discipline. This is part of the training. And it says God is treating you as children by allowing discipline to come into your life, by allowing those things to come in your life. It's actually an evidence of his love for you that he's treating you as sons and daughters to, to train you through these conditions. I love this, I love this verse, uh, Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It's not like we like it, right? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. All right, we made it to number six. Uh, number six is the last number. And then there's a closing. So you wondered, like, why doesn't he have three points like every other sermon? No, I could, I could only boil it down to six. I knew that was wrong, but I did it anyways. And then the end, in the closing, all six kind of just dissolve into one anyways. So anyway, point number six, Convoy. I'm going to call it Convoy because I like, I, when I was a kid, I used to love the song Convoy by C.W. McCall. If anyone ever looks that up, forgive me. Um, I loved that song when I was a kid. Anyway, you could also call it caravan. Driving with others in your group, right? Not traveling alone. You know, that's, that can make the journey a lot more fun. It also can make the journey a lot more of a pain, uh, depending on how it goes. But God has given us brothers and sisters. He's given us the church to drive together on this discipleship journey with, on this spiritual journey. We don't have to do it alone. We don't have to be a lone wolf out there in the road. We're part of a convoy. And this is where discipleship overlaps with fellowship. Uh, when I was in, in uh, Bible school, we had a ministry team that would go out. And uh, we, we ended up going, you know, all over the up and down the East Coast. But... Um, we had two vans, one was full of people, and then the other one had some people in it and all the equipment. And so we would drive in a mini convoy of two vans everywhere, and we had to watch out for each other on the road. And uh, it was in the days before cell phones and stuff, so we had CB radios. Let me hear it for CB radios. Yeah. You could talk to the guy in the other vehicle. Come back. Are you there? I'm going to stop at McDonald's coming up at the next stop. Yeah, let's do it, man. Turn four. Out. So we loved those. We loved the CB radios. Uh, one time, we were going to do a youth conference for a weekend in Canada, and... It was a winter, and we were trying to get there for like the 7 o'clock or whatever. So it was probably about 5, because I remember it was dark. And I remember I was in a different country, and I didn't know where I was going. And I was driving the equipment van behind the other guy, and pretty sure he was the one that had the directions and the address and the phone number and everything. And I'm pretty sure I didn't have anything I just had to follow. Yeah, just follow me, man. Okay, let's go. And uh, unfamiliar, I didn't know where I was. It was getting dark. It was winter. It was snowing. And I remember that moment, that horrible moment when it's like I lost him. I have no idea where I am, where I'm going, how to get there, anything. And I just, I just uh, thankfully, the Lord 
was with me because it was like, I really feel like I'm supposed to turn left right here. And I did. I think he went there. I don't know. I just feel like left is the right turn to make. And uh, I made the turn. And eventually, after, you know, silence for 10 minutes or whatever, like, I'm either getting way off track right here or trying to catch up with them. I'm not sure. Finally, we got through to them on the CB, and they were they were pulled over miles down the road waiting for me, and, and we got reunited. And thankfully, they didn't say, You jerk! Drive more aggressively! Keep up with us! Keep your eyes out! What were you doing? They didn't say that. There's, you're just glad to be reunited. And also, I didn't say to them, you jerk, you lost me back there. You're supposed to watch out for me. But either way, both of those are true, right? We all have responsibilities towards each other to watch out for each other on the journey. Not to blame, not to judge, but to look out for each other. First Thessalonians 5, encourage one another. Build each other up. John 13.35, Jesus says, By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The mark of discipleship. If we're loving each other, if, if people see us working well together as a caravan, they'll be like, those people are going on the Jesus journey. I can tell. Now, we've been talking about this a bit in our, in our elders' meetings and and so I've been I've been uh, studying something that I that I really never had any interest in studying before, which was church discipline, and how how do you help each other make it on your journey and look out for each other? And I'm just going to really quick give you a few verses um, for how this works. First Peter four eight. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. That's a really good one. I mean, when I got separated from the other van, they just they just overlooked. They didn't blame me. They overlooked it. They loved me. They we're glad to be back together. There's things you can overlook, and uh, you can just say, "Yeah, that's all right, man. No problem. We're we're together," and uh, that's important. Um, but there are other moments when you do have to say something or or work through something with somebody on the convoy. And uh, Galatians 6, 1 gives us an example. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and I'm going to think of sin as missing the mark or miss, maybe missing the turn on the journey, we turned left and you kept going straight. If, someone, if you see someone who missed the turn, it says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Get on their CB, say, Dude, did you see? Uh, did you see that we turned left back there? Yeah, we turned on Route 58. Yeah, I think you missed the turn, bud. Uh, we'll wait for you. We'll pull over. You know, like you should restore that person gently. You don't let them have it. You jerk! You missed the turn. What's the, um, and listen to this part. The verse goes on to say, "But watch yourselves, or you, you also may be tempted." you know that you could have missed that turn just as easy as he did. So you're not like judgmental. You're just saying, let's stay together here. You're helping each other. So there's, there's again, humility in this. Um, Luke 17, 3 makes it a little more personal because sometimes on the journey with other people, they actually personally hurt you. And Jesus addresses that in, in Luke 17, 3. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, Rebuke them. Hey, I read that and I was like, is he giving us permission to yell at each other? Doesn't that sound like someone messes with you? Let them have it. Not, and I was like, that can't be what he meant. Um, and I, so I looked this word up, rebuke, because to me that's a really harsh sounding word. Um, and I was really surprised. It has to do with placing value on or placing weight on something. So when I reread it with that in mind, if someone sins against you, place value on them. Put weight on that situation. Like handle it as a valuable, carefully handled type of situation. Um, 
like my relationship with that person is valuable. And I want to talk to them and try to repair that relationship. Uh, if they repent, forgive them. Yeah, don't forget that part. Don't hold it against them forever. Okay. Um, and then one last one uh, regarding, regarding handling things like this. Uh, Matthew 18, this is one that, that we're horrible at. Uh, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now remember that part, just between the two of you. It doesn't say go to someone else and talk about how bad that person was because uh, uh, aren't we bad at that? Um, and uh, that's gossip and there's lots of verses against gossip. It says just between the two of you, talk about it. If they listen to you, you've won them over. If they will not listen, take one or two others along. And then it says if they still don't listen, then you can get the church uh, leaders involved. And so I do want to say something about church leadership in regards to church discipline and, and discipleship. Um, a few weeks ago, I got pulled over by the police for, state police, for uh, having a headlight out on my vehicle. They gave me the paper that you got to get it fixed, sign it, get it to the court, or else there's a $100 fee or whatever it is. Uh, so we did that. And then a couple weeks later, same thing happened to my wife with a different vehicle, a different headlight out. Okay, well, we know how to do this. We know, you know, we go to Arcade Police Station and they'll fill it out for us and we'll get it sent in. You know, I had to submit to their authority, you know. I may not, I may not have liked that whole thing, but if I back up from it, I'm like, you know what? That that could be a safety issue. I didn't realize the headlight was up. Like you can you can have a good attitude about it, right? Uh, Hebrews thirteen uh, seventeen says, "Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you, as those who must give account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be no benefit to you." So there are moments where there are there are you know Christian leaders in our lives who will. Say, hey, uh, did you realize you had a headlight out? You know, did you, did you realize you kind of rolled through that stop there? <laughs> stop saying that, you know. So, just be, again, it's a thing of being humble. Like, okay, I received that, you know, and that's like one of my least favorite parts of being a pastor is if I ever have to say things like that. But that is one aspect of the whole big picture, that there are traffic laws out there and there are enforcement things going on uh, from time to time if needed. All right, but I want all those points, all six of those, I want those to kind of fall into the background when you think about this last one because this is really, to me, the, the heart of it and the most important thing. And uh, if we could have the worship team come up, I would like uh, them to get ready to bring us uh, to our closing time here. Um, on a journey, you're not going anywhere if you don't have some gas in the tank, right? You need some fuel in the vehicle. And I want to submit to you today that the fuel of our discipleship journal, it's not, it's not like to attain some great spirituality I am so driven to be the most awesome theologian in the world and know every Bible verse by heart. That's not my goal. Is not like a head knowledge type pride thing. The, the, that's not the thing that drives me. That's not the thing that fuels me. The thing that should fuel our discipleship journey is simply love. When I was dating my wife, uh, she lived in central Virginia and I lived here and and uh, we, we started by writing letters on paper in an envelope. You can Google that. It's probably, it's in history somewhere. You used to be able to do that. We wrote letters to each other. We got to know each other over weeks and weeks of corresponding by letter. And then eventually we graduated to phone calls. And that was pretty cool to hear 
her voice. But then came the time when it got, it got to be time for me to go to Virginia to be with her in person. And let me tell you, the prospect of actually seeing her face to face, the prospect of actually just being there with her, the prospect of maybe I'll get to hold her hand or hug her or even kiss her if I work up my nerve. All that love stuff, that fueled my journey. It was, I wasn't like, oh, this is such a long drive. I wish I didn't have to go see her or something. It was like, I was, I can't wait to get there type of feeling. And the fuel of our journey with Jesus needs, we, we need to have love for him. First John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. If you, if you ever lose that passion, that excitement for Jesus, that love for him, that desire to be with him, to know him more, remind yourself of how much he loves you. Remind yourself of what he's done for you. Remind yourself of the cross, the blood he poured out for you. And I promise you, that's why we come back to communion lots of times uh, and come back to the cross lots of times because that's what fuels our journey, his love for us, our love for him, to be with him, we, to get to know him more. If someone, if someone uh, donated a kidney to you, you'd, you'd be thankful forever to that person. You would probably, a lot of times you hear stories about that. People get to know the person who donated organs and, and they, they want to, they don't just say, hey, thanks, dude, see ya. They're like eternally grateful and eternally wanting to know what, what possessed you to give to me when you didn't know who I was, when I didn't deserve anything. You reached out to me. You're awesome. You, know, you just want to know him more. Revelation chapter 2 we read about what, what sometimes happens to us on the journey we get weary we've been through lots of twists and turns and our vehicle has got some issues and this whole thing's getting old Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2 I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary yet I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first and that is the thing we always need to keep coming back to being fueled by his love I'd like to ask you to stand the song that uh, Pastor Josh introduced to us today I need you is going to just give us we're going to do it one more time before we leave to give us an opportunity to uh Bring our hearts to the Lord and reconnect with the reason we're on this journey.